Hello, this is Beyond the Bell with WASTA, Wisconsin's hub for professional development for anyone working in out-of-school time programs and youth-serving organizations. It's our mission to help you provide the highest quality care to children and their families. If you wish you had an extra tool going into programming to help guide behaviors in a productive way, wish you knew more about how to provide the whole family with support, or you want to enhance your own well-being, then this is the home for you. We know what it's like to feel like you never have enough time or resources to meet everyone's needs, and we're here to support you through the challenges. Stay tuned as we explore new ideas and strategies that you can use right away. I'm Rachel Sharon, health educator with Marshfield Clinic Health System Center for Community Health Advancement and Wisconsin Out-of-School Time Alliance. We're excited you're listening today to our conversation with Dr. Jen Michaels. Dr. Michaels is a clinical psychologist, fellowship trainer director, and well-being leader at Marshfield Clinic Health System. She has developed programming and given presentations on many mental health and wellness topics throughout the years. She's joining us today to walk through a common but stressful scenario that we might run into when working with a child and what we can do in response. Welcome, Dr. Michaels. Thank you. In Dr. Offenwanger's presentation on naming and taming emotions, she shared the following quote, Emotions are bursts of energy within us, and ignoring them gives them power. Like a balloon, if we try to ignore them, they will just keep coming back up. Let's walk through a common scenario in an after-school program where a child, say, does not want to transition from snack time or a group game, and they go into a flight response, running across the room and out of sight from a staff member. Dr. Michaels, what are the potential emotions they might be feeling? This is a really good scenario to discuss and a great question. I first want to emphasize the importance of caregivers and staff briefly pausing to ask themselves this key question as a first step in navigating a situation like this. What might this child be feeling? If we as adults can pause and consider what some of those feelings might be for the child who's struggling, it helps guide our reactions and our interventions. It can also emotionally ground us, which is really important as a first step. So back to the question at hand, this child is likely feeling restless after a long day of school with the rules and routines that are probably part of that school setting. He or she's likely feeling emotionally and physically tired, both of which contribute to decreasing emotion regulation. And he or she may be feeling frustrated or angry, perhaps overstimulated by the surrounding, and may be anxious. The child may feel a lack of agency with having to follow the schedule. So those are several of the common things that could come up with a a child in a scenario like this. And that's such a great reminder that it's so, so helpful for us to be grounded first before we can even start to assess what's going on for a child. And also that there's so many other things that play into it. It's not just one transition, but that this child went through an entire day before they got to our program. Exactly. So in this scenario, what's going on in the child's body that's causing this response? So let's talk about the brain first. Um, As emotions become more intense, brain activity elevates in the emotional centers of the brain, specifically the amygdala, which is in the limbic system of the brain. And the logical and the rational areas of the brain in the frontal lobe become less active. This is when emotion mind takes over and floods the brain, taking our logical, rational areas sort of offline temporarily. As that amygdala senses stress or danger, it sends distressing signals to another part of the brain, the hypothalamus. 
And it's that hypothalamus that operates as somewhat of a, a command center for the rest of the body and communicates that distress throughout the rest of the nervous system. So when emotion mind is in command, the physiological symptoms of the physiological body are sort of brought along for the ride. And, it, and this usually entails body responses such as uh, a release of adrenaline, uh, rapid breathing and heart rate, increased blood pressure, and a shift in the blood flow in the body uh, to the leg and arm muscles, the heart and the brain. You might also see body temperature regulation. Uh, muscles often become tense, and there may be a, a shaking or trembling that's sometimes noticed when, when the um, body heads in this direction. And the, uh, the brain is flooded with emotion as the body goes into this fight, flight, or freeze response. So the brain and the body really uh, react hand-in-hand hand with each other during a time like this when the emotions get big. Absolutely. And I love the visuals that you give us there because in the moment, I don't know if I remember frontal lobe or hypothalamus, but knowing that a child might be freezing up and that kind of thing and knowing that there's these other causes again than just somebody wanting to misbehave necessarily is so helpful in those moments. So before we jump right into problem solving, what are the potential stress responses um, that might trigger for the staff person? We kind of started to talk about it. What else might they experience? Yeah, well, interestingly enough, the staff response is likely to be very similar to the child's response. You know, the child's behavior may uh, trigger the stress response in the staff, again, activate those emotional centers of the brain, and likely result in a similar uh, stress response throughout the body. If you could monitor staff at these times, you would likely see an increase in blood pressure, heart rate would go up, breathing pace would go up, adrenaline levels and cortisol levels, which are the stress hormone in the body, would go up. And you'd see them generally escalate. There's a bit of a mirroring response, you know, to seeing the, the, the child uh, go into a flight response. Absolutely. It's that co-regulation piece that we hear about. And it's so interesting in this day and age when we're tracking everything, it would almost be interesting to ask your phone, what's going on in my body right now? And almost think of it that way. Sure. Very helpful. What strategies might you recommend for the staff and the child to regulate during this? Well, first, you know, let's start with the staff. Uh, the, the first step for the staff is just noticing, you know, noticing that they're stressed and, and maybe having a, a, a stress response to the child's behavior. Then the next critical step is for the staff to uh, engage themselves in physiological calming and get themselves centered. You know, why uh, do we do this? Because uh, we really can't think or probably come up with the best interaction and be at our best in our emotion regulation if we don't do the physio physiological calming ourselves first in, in this uh, type of scenario. So how does the staff member do that? Well, um, you know, some of the standard body calming techniques, such as taking a few deep breaths, um, maybe it might be a little bit of self-talk to recenter or ground uh, oneself and think about how they want to intentionally engage that situation. With the child uh, in this situation, uh, staff members want to be thinking about a, a gentle approach, uh, what we might call a gentle startup. Instead of engaging the scenario with more of a commanding or intent approach to engagement, we're likely to get a better response out of a child with a gentle startup. And then we also really want to capitalize here on mirror neurons uh, in the brain. So if we model it for kids, kids are more likely to respond in kind, which is that critical reason for a staff member to, to regulate themselves uh, first. 
So, you know, this might start off um, with making a supportive statement, you know, to a child. You know, sounds like there's, uh, sounds like it was hard to shift gears today. Just something like that that acknowledges the stress of the situation that the child may, may be ex- experiencing. Uh, and then, you know, anything that can encourage calming. So it could be um, uh, rubbing on a shoulder or a gentle touch, you know, that might help, you know, um, encourage calming. It could be comforting words. It could be encouraging uh, the, the child quite directly to take a few deep breaths. It could be uh, giving a little space and just sort of setting that up and saying, hey, why don't you take, you know, three minutes here in, in this space and see if we can get, get ourselves, you know, kind of back in, in gear. So any of those interventions in the moment to, to help the child um, center themselves would, would be perfect. Yeah, and really what we're talking about here is slowing down to almost speed up because you don't want to rush or try to control the situation, but it really is that slowing down, making sure, again, that you're present so that that can happen for the child that you're working with. Right, that partnering effect uh, you know, becomes pretty important in, this, uh, in the wake of uh, you know, breaking it down a little bit and slowing it down. And I think sometimes we just need permission to do that because there is this gut reaction to fix it or to get things under control, especially when you have other kids that you're working with. So just knowing that it is okay to slow down and do that and take that time is really helpful. Yeah, it's really a critically important step. So assuming that we're regulated, how do you actually get the child to name what's going on? How do they name their emotions then? Sure. Well, first, you know, I, I think it's important to remember that naming emotions really cannot happen until there's sufficient calming. You know, we have to help kids uh, get their emotion mind calmed down uh, first to have access to their logical, rational mind, which is where that naming occurs. So we always got to remember the steps in, in order. And a lot of times, you, you know, people will rush towards trying to get a child to speak what their feelings are, and they just can't do it if there's, there's too much kind of surging in their body. This is often the time it's best to just break it down. And as Dr. Offenwanger mentioned in her, in her presentation, one of the great strategies to use is to use colors. Uh, with a child to help symbolize uh, their different emotions, things like blue, green, yellow, red. Uh, you know, if a care setting has introduced that idea, is an automatic kind of launch pad to be able to just ask the question, you know, with color language, which might be easier. Uh, so that's a, a nice template to get built into the, the setting. We can also engage a child by just wondering uh, a bit, you know, uh, with, with a child about their emotions and maybe naming some possible emotions as a way to help increase their proficiency at knowing words uh, that uh, fit with emotions. So things like, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if you're feeling frustrated that you had to leave the snack before you were ready to do that. So you're kind of introducing suggestions without, you know, telling them what the emotions are, but wondering along with them as a more gentle approach. Uh, With older kids, you could certainly try directly asking them, you know, I wonder what you were feeling a few minutes ago when you had to make that transition. And they may be further along in the curve with being able to call up and and identify and then name the emotion. So it sort of depends on the age of the child as to which um, type of strategy might apply to help them along in that process. And it's, it's a good reminder, you said, you mentioned the frontal lobe and getting to that thinking space. So it's not as much about getting hung up on one right emotion or one word, but maybe that's an indicator we do have to do some more regulation first or kind of go back to the drawing board. But it can be a color. It can be expressed in so many different ways. Exactly. And we can help yeah. based on that. Right. 
So what is our desired outcome and how does this help us with future interactions with this child? Sure, sure. So, you know, ultimately, one of the very best tools that we can teach our kids, uh, one that pays tremendous dividends throughout their entire lifespan, is the ability to self-soothe and to self-regulate. So this is really the big goal that we're working towards in these minutes or in these moments. It's that bit by bit helping kids build the internal emotional, psychological, uh, and behavioral hardware, so to speak, uh, for that lifelong regulation. So we're helping them build the structure and this internal scaffolding to be able to consistently regulate themselves. And this really only comes through repetitive interactions of partnering with them when they become dysregulated and helping them to build skills to first calm themselves and then build emotion identification and naming skills and then ultimately develop that ability and the courage to voice their thoughts and emotion aloud. So as they get better and better at performing these internal sets of skills, they can go about navigating the world and all the complexity around them more effectively and efficiently. And it's really a caregiver who provides that gentle help uh, within a psychologically safe relationship and within a safe environment, uh, along with a whole lot of patience, repetition, and time that bit by bit builds that engine. And that's such a good reminder of the big picture because in these moments, it doesn't always feel great and not everybody always leaves happy and things like that, but knowing that that's contributing to their overall development and how they thrive and even that advocacy piece that you mentioned, that they will be able to advocate for themselves someday is such a powerful, powerful reminder. And then also just a reminder that you are that consistent for kids out there, all of you listening, um, and that you can build those relationships over time, practicing these skills slowly over and over again that builds on each other. Exactly. Uh, you know, caregivers, uh, school staff, all of these people who are integral to a child's life um, have such an important contribution to building this internal scaffolding that's going to get kids uh, to a place where they can regulate and they can go about the stressors uh, that they encounter uh, adaptively. Absolutely. This is a great way to end our discussion, I think, Dr. Michaels. Thank you again for diving into this topic with us. And thank you to all of you for listening in. We hope you leave today with a few more tools in your toolbox. Be sure to visit our website and sign up for our emails where we share information about all of our upcoming professional development opportunities.